the son of Sven Gulli. Hey, Dad, can I borrow the keys to the hearse tonight? Yeah! Ah, thank you. Ah, good evening. I am the son of Sven Gulli. Well, I didn't think you were Rula Lenska. Well, that's an honest mistake. We've got a movie for you tonight that makes Dawn of the Dead look like Godzilla meets the Brady Bunch. Right, guys? Huh? No. Welcome to the latest episode of Real Early. I'm your host, Larry Sternshine. On today's show, I'm joined by author and horror expert Heather Wixon. Back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, I would frequent the website Dread Central to get all my horror news and reviews. It was there that I first discovered Heather as one of the many writers on the site. I loved reading her reviews and news articles and noticed that she was also from the Chicagoland area. It was then that I became a fan of her work. Since then, she has gone on to write for sites like Daily Dead and released two volumes of Monsters, Makeup, and Effects, where she interviews the many masters of horror special effects. You can also find her writings in the upcoming book companion to the In the Search of Darkness horror documentary series. This was a fun episode to record because we talked about many fun things. We discussed growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, how her mom got her into horror movies, terrorizing her friends with the latest scary movie of Sleepovers, and all about her career... All that and so much more on the latest episode of Real Early. Hello, Heather. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for doing my show. I really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you thinking of me. <laughs> um, I've been sort of like on a, like a little bit of a sabbatical this year because I've been so kind of like focused on book stuff. So I'm like, wait, people still want to talk to me? Like about what? <laughs> so I well, appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're you're somebody that I've always read for a very long time now. So I was wanted to reach out to people that I've always like enjoyed uh, their work and everything. So that's why I was like, I gotta get her on. And here we are. Oh well, thank you. I I, I do appreciate that immensely. Before we go, uh, or before we start, I should say, how is Johnny Utah doing? He's doing okay. Yeah, it's it, yeah. It was just they had to do like these tests, and um, thankfully no cancer or anything. But he does have like gastrointestinal things, so it's like mm. more special food, a few more medications. <laughs> so I'm just like, okay, you know, we can work with that. So Whew, that's good news, though. Uh, nobody wants to hear the c word, especially with their no, cute no. dogs. No, and he's turning ten this year too, which is already tough. So I'm like, ah, oh, okay, yeah. And how many dogs do you have right now? Is it just him or do you have others? We have one other one. She's, um, she just turned four and she, because we are, we are nothing if not movie fans in our house. Uh, her name, her full name is Winifred Sanderson. Excellent. I, <laughs> I, I do. I had a, uh, one of my good friends, uh, TJ, he and his wife and his, his uh, kid did a, uh, Sanderson cos cosplay for, uh, Halloween this year. Oh, for real? Yeah. Was, oh, that's so cool. It was real. It was real adorable. He was uh, oh, I forget which uh sister name, but the one that Kathy Bates played. That was, I think that's what he did. Oh, Mary. Yeah, I think it was. Well, it was hilarious though. It was great, and the the oh. got the little uh, like two year old. 
you know, as one of the sisters. It was really cute. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I it's you know what's hilarious though about Halloween, by the way, is I very rarely ever dress up for it. It's the strangest thing. I love Halloween so much, yet I do so little to celebrate it. It's bizarre. You know, it's funny. I'm kind of the same. I haven't dressed up since like 2009, but like I said, kind of celebrate in other ways. And I think that's, that's the nice thing is like, you can kind of just make it like about how you want to approach it. Cause I think also too, like for folks working like in horror, it's just such an exhausting time of year um, that, you know, we basically like we'll spend our Halloween instead of like doing big parties and stuff, just like watching movies, which sounds so silly and basic. Mm-hmm. But like sometimes you just you just want to like indulge that way. So oh, I, I totally with you. Yeah. So don't feel silly at all. Like I think, you know, also I think in the last few years too, we've just sort of had to all figure out what our expectations are for certain holidays yeah. you know because the world's kind of changed a bit so you know do it however you want to do it but as long as you know you're doing it in the way you want to like you know that's cool don't worry about what, like how everybody else is like showing off on social media and stuff like that it reminds me of the episode of buffy when the halloween one uh where everybody yes. wears becomes their costume and Basically, they're like on Halloween. It's just like a vacation for all the them because it's just too obvious. Yeah, that, that's sort. Of, that's sort of. That's kind of where I'm at with the, with Halloween, especially on Friday the Thirteenth this year. Being in October, everyone's watching in Friday the Thirteenth movies. I'm like, that's the day I don't want to watch a Friday the Thirteenth movie. <laughs> well, I will admit, we we definitely uh, watched a few that day. Um, that's but wrong it's funny because yeah, but it's funny though because like. Um, I'm sure it's different for other folks, but like once like we get to like November, like our movies actually kind of shift a little bit where we kind of go more into like just regular mainstream. Now, I don't want to say non-genre stuff because we do watch a little bit here and there, but mostly like it starts to change a little bit. And then December is like Christmas horror and then regular Christmas movies. Um do you watch all the Hallmark ones and all those Christmas movies? Are you one of those people? I don't. I don't have anything against them. I love <laughs> okay. that there's people out there who are super obsessed with them. And I love how like Hallmark, it's it's kind of like how horror people have turned Halloween into like a year-round thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, so if there's people who want to do like a year-round Christmas thing, go whatever makes you happy at this point is is you know how I see it. Um there's been a few where I've been tempted to be like, ooh, that sounds fun. But I know I know the formula. And it's funny, actually, there's like um the place that I, I go get my nails done at, they actually play like those movies all the time there. So I kind of feel like I've seen a few inadvertently. Um just because they've been on there where I'm just like, and it's like the simple, like t- half of them are typically like somebody goes back to their hometown and they've recently had some sort of crisis um a good portion of them they're they're newly single there's somebody at their hometown that they reconnect with um you know so it's it's a it's a really fascinating concept but hey you know what millions out there are entertained and you know good for them yeah i i have to say i'm one of me and my wife are one of those people we like watching the cornier the better but uh to tie it into to horror which i find very interesting if you look at a lot of these christmas movies they're like the internet movie database, the filmography for a lot of these directors, 
they'll have like mm-hmm. five Christmas movies and then one really hardcore horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I keep, I forget the the name of the movie. Um and the director. I interviewed him a few years ago, but he made this really great horror movie about like their grandkid was possessed and they were trying to figure out how to get the, the demon out of their grandkid and into somebody else or something to that effect. And I remember like before I was talking to him, like I went and looked up his filmography and he had like 15 Hallmark movies. And the funny thing is, is like when I was talking to him, he was kind of like almost like, oh, we don't have to talk about this stuff. And I was like, no, like that's your career. You got work. Like, mm-hmm. don't be af- like afraid to be proud of that. Um, so yeah, like, you know, I, I think people forget, like, in Hollywood, like, of course, people want to be creative, but sometimes you got to work, you know, and and that's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely okay. I know I've had people on my show who, you know, they I, they wanted to, like, be, like, this big, like, famous director or whatever, but then they are super happy being, like, a working editor. Like, they have a job that pays them all the time, you know, and it's, like can't begrudge anybody for becoming you know a working uh actor or director or anything like that no i think, it's, I think it's, it was uh what was it uh samuel L. jackson was talking once about his his dad told him you know to, to always be working and that's why samuel L. jackson's in like four million things he is i think he's just i just got an email he did some like fun thriller movie with like him uma thurman and joe manginello that uh shout factory put out Oh, yeah, and I'm actually like I was reading the the the, the synopsis from like this is kind of intriguing. I think I would watch this. So, um, yeah, it's you know it's it's so tough because it's like everybody wants to like think of Hollywood as like a passion project kind of town, but I think you know this year especially we've learned like you know you got to keep working to like you know keep going essentially, and in some cases you can keep working on something and they're just going to throw it away at the end, which is even worse. This has um, been the strangest year for what as soon as they did that for Batwoman, like all things have like changed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, crazy. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've heard about the Coyote versus Acme thing that yeah. just came out. I'm like heartbroken by that news because it just sounds like an amazingly cool thing, like that people were loving and just to do that like I just I don't understand it and it makes me sad because I am somebody who grew up like watching movies recognizing like studio logos and like kind of building like affection towards those things and I've always loved Warner Brothers like to me that was like you know you saw the WB come up especially like the old school like red screen with the the black and white logo coming up um like I love that stuff and like just to have a studio that's so against being creative, I don't get it. Like, I just don't understand. And then like, especially if other studios wanted to buy it and you're still like, now nah, we're still going to write it off. Like, I don't understand it at all. Um, and it makes me really sad because that movie sounded awesome. And so did Batwoman. Like I was like, yeah, you know, I just, it's, even, it is even a if it wasn't awesome, it's sad that, you can't judge it for yourself now because it's just not there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it yeah, reminds me too, they remember how they used to just shelve movies forever, but eventually it would come out? Like, I don't know if these can ever come out. No, I think they, I don't think they can. And that's what the, that's what's kind of sucks about it. Cause like I saw somebody mention like, okay, so if they're doing these as tax write-offs and like our tax money, money is paying for it, they should just become public domain movies then. 
that anybody can watch at any time because we've now paid for them. I saw that tweet and I agree 100%. I was like, yeah, yeah I'm let's, in. Let's do that. Yeah. yeah. But I'm sure they'd find find other ways to, to screw us over. <laughs> oh, for sure. They're, they're going to make me wait like 10 years to see the new Salem slot. So I'm angry about that too. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, knock on wood that that doesn't get shelved forever. I know. Well, it's like, I know that they said that now they're thinking it might go straight to max, which again, I don't know why the other ones couldn't. Um, so I'm just hoping we we get it in some form. I did that to me is like the easiest layup of a movie because it's Stephen King. It's horror. Horror is ninety nine percent of the time, you know, in the last five years, profitable for studios. Like, just do it. Just put it out there. And you already have Stephen King going on record saying that he loved it. So, like, what are we waiting for? I I don't know what we're waiting for at all. I know. <laughs> terrible people making terrible decisions about uh movies, but they're treating them like commerce. Yeah, well it's yeah. it's all it's all movie uh these companies are it's just diff- it's just different and we'll we're gonna have to find a way to navigate through it and uh get to the other side somehow. Uh so yeah. now horror you were talking about being very profitable and whatnot, and you have uh, always been a, a horror movie person so much so that you have written books celebrating the behind the scenes people of these you've done a couple of monsters make but effects books uh volume one and two and monster squad and you also have a big coffee table book coming out tell us a little bit about uh, the coffee table book you've got coming out because i am very interested in getting this one Oh, yes. So this is, um, it's basically the companion book to the In Search of Darkness uh, documentary series. Um, So it will be also called In Search of Darkness. Um, So the backstory to that a little bit is that um, I was one of the producers on the first installment of the series. Um, I was also featured in all three of all three editions of the documentaries um, for In Search of Darkness as well. I kind of decided like after the first one, um, it was right around like when COVID hit, things were so uncertain. I had decided to go back to school um, because the way things were kind of shaping up like around Los Angeles, I was like, oh, I need to like get like a normal like job job kind of scenario. But everybody I was talking to was like, oh, you don't have a degree. I'm like, no, I've only been working for 20 something odd years and have a ton of experience. But if you need this goofy thing why not so i was kind of refocusing things a little bit so i stepped away from the documentaries from the behind the scenes aspect of things but when i moved over to my new publisher who who does monsters makeup and effects like he was like i don't know why they haven't done like an in search of darkness book yet and i was like i i don't know but i can connect you and so it was really cool that like i was able to kind of bring this together and then be a part of it as well um but we did kind of realize like into the process like having one person write about like 175 movies is like a ridiculous task to do in any sort of reasonable time that's a lot of movies (laughs) it is a lot of movies it's because we're covering the movies from the first two because that's how far back we started um and so thankfully I was able to bring on uh, a friend of mine, Patrick Bromley, who I've known like since we were kids uh, online, we sort of refer to each other as horror BFFs. 
Um, but we've known each other since like I was in fifth grade and he was in sixth. Um, and wow. we actually, yeah, we actually find it cause my best friend growing up, she was a year older than me and she went like into junior high and was like meeting all these new people. And she came home one day and she was like, Hey, I met this kid who really likes nightmare on Elm street. You should call him and talk to him. And I was like, okay. And then we just kind of became like phone buddies and we would just do nothing but talk about like horror movies and stuff. Uh, but especially nightmare on Elm street movies. And, um, so yeah, so being able to kind of write it with him, um, has been really cool. And then we've had to kind of do some filling in of some gaps because for me, my whole mantra about the book is like, you know, the documentaries exist. I wanted to take this further because I didn't want it just to be a rehash of what people have already seen presented in documentaries. So, because I don't know when to like stop and I'm not somebody who can just write to a formula like my my publisher was like oh you know try to keep it to like around you know this many words because this is how many pages and blah 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 and there's just certain movies where I'm like I can't keep it to like 1200 words like there's too much like if you're writing about the evil dead you gotta write about the evil dead oh yeah Um, for sure so now we're kind of like working through like some like last minute tributes and stuff just to even out the page counts and stuff like that to really give folks um just a lot of really good content that they feel like it has value and it also hopefully will like enhance their experiences that they've had through the documentary series as well so you know for me i just didn't want to you know ask people to spend however many dollars on a book like to basically get something that they already have at the documentary. Like I wanted this to take things a little further. Um, Cause I think for me, like the bigger bummer was like the In Search of Darkness folks also did this documentary called In Search of Tomorrow, which is about like sci-fi movies. Um, and they just also announced a book for that. But the book is just quotes from the documentary. And to me, that just kind of felt like, That's why? Disappointing. It is like, especially for science fiction, like there's so much to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Um, not that there isn't with horror, but like, you know, you could just, you could go wild with some of the movies, you know, that was covered in that doc. Um, so I just didn't want to do that. Like I wanted to give people more. Um, and if somebody walks away from like this and they're like, wow, I actually learned a lot. Like that would make me the happiest um so yeah so the, there's going to be like the coffee table edition that's going to be coming out uh early next year and then i th- i know they're also working sort of like on the paperback version as well um but we wanted just to do something that was really special and was reflective uh of what they were able to achieve with that documentary series yeah i know a lot of people really like the the documentaries i actually it's it's funny i haven't sat down to watch them because i know they're a little bit little bit longer and i like to really savor and like write down stuff of movies that maybe i've never heard of or whatnot but um yeah they're, they're I, each like at least like four hours or so yeah. so it's 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 an undertaking but they're i like think <laughs> yeah but i think though they're it's important to have like the sort of historical record out there for people to to go uh and watch because you know there's going to be young people coming up that are interested in horror might not know where to go and they'll pick up your book or watch the documentary and be like, Oh, I want to see that. And then they become lifelong fans. So you're going to be a part, a little bit of part of some people getting into horror. Yeah. That's I, I really love that. Like I love if my, one of my favorite things ever, like is if I've talked about some random movie online 
And then somebody at some point says, oh, you know, I watched that and I really loved it. Thank you for, for mentioning it. To me, that's kind of like my favorite thing because I, I think it takes me back to like being a kid. And I was always the weird one who was like renting crazy, strange movies or taking like one of my favorite movies to take to, to slumber parties growing up. And this is so terrible. Uh, but it was Sleepaway Camp because when I remember my brain broke the first time I saw it as a kid. So I wanted my friends to have that experience. And there was one parent in particular who called my mom and some discussions and things like that. But I love that moment of watching or hearing somebody discovering something and like getting to be a part of it. Like, I just think that's so cool. Um, I, I really love that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm, if somebody walks away from this book and they're like, Hey, like you, you, you know, you talked about this movie vamp with like a weird vampire comedy and I rented it and I loved it. Like I've won. That's it. That's what I really wanted out of this experience. Um, yeah. Cause like, honestly, like one of my favorite things was like my partner, like a few years ago, um, I, I couldn't believe we could have this, but like he had never seen the original planet of the apes. Like he'd seen the context of certain reveals in that movie, but it never clicked for him what it all actually meant. So getting to watch him watch Planet of the Apes for the first time, like I love that movie. That movie means so much to me, but watching him watch it was like one of the greatest nights ever because when that moment hits at the end and he was like, wait, what? And I was like, oh my God, really? You didn't know? And he was like, I had no idea. Wow. And it was so cool. And who gets to have that experience? Because we're like almost like we're 55 years removed from that movie at this point. And it, that, it's still surprising people. Like that's what's so cool about like art is that people it's it's a thing that can exist that can still evoke really strong reactions, regardless if it was put out five years ago, 55 years ago. You know, that's what's like really cool about it. Now, you just mentioned the thing that how you really like telling people about movies, have, you know, so they could discover things and whatnot. So I, I want to know kind of like how you discovered horror movies. So you grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. But uh, so I'm from Deerfield, Illinois. So I'm a nice. suburban kid. So where where did you grow up in? I was in Des Plaines. So I was I literally grew up like right across the street from O'Hare. Okay, yeah. Um, See, so I, had, I had a loud I had a loud childhood. <laughs> yeah, growing up in the Chicago area, I was <laughs> for sure. Uh, no, so, totally. Uh, was your your mom? Because uh, you you mentioned this before, but was your mom a, a horror fan already? Yes. Yeah, okay. she was. And I grew up like basically in like a single parent house. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm older, like I'm, you know, I'm in my forties. And so back in the day, you know, childcare was expensive. So my mom would just take me to stuff. And I, I distinctly remember one of my first like movie going memories, um, particularly in horror, um, was American Werewolf in London, which I don't recommend you taking a toddler to American Werewolf. Um, but she just took me to stuff. And I, I remember the feeling of sitting in a movie theater, but on the screen, there was a scene of a movie theater. And that was like this weird, like, whole oh, whoa, what is going on? Um, 
And it was like my mom and her best friend and me and like her best friend was like so scared of horror movies still is to this day. Um, and I remember she was just like, oh, she's like, Heather looks kind of scared. I'm going to take her out, um, which I wasn't probably. I think she was. And so and then I remember like spending like 20 minutes like while my mom finished American Werewolf playing Pac-Man in the in the lobby of the movie theater. Um, but yeah, like it was just my mom would take me to see all kinds of different things. Like I remember they did like a re-release of Blazing Saddles and we went to see it at the drive-in. And it was really funny because a few years I, I asked a few years ago, I asked my mom about that. And she's like, you remember that? And I was like, I do. Um, I remember sitting in the back seat of like her little sunbird that she had. And just there's like these funny things that my mom was just dying of laughter at. And it didn't click for me at that age, obviously. But I was just like, I just remember these things. Um, but yeah, we, we were always watching horror and then my best friend and I grew up like two houses away from each other and her parents were really into horror as well, uh, particularly sci-fi horror. Um, so like, I remember watching like alien at like five, which was, that's gotta been a little scary. Yeah. Around five (laughs) is when it was like a really formative time because I kind of remember like in a span of like a few months seeing the thing alien in salem's lot and i was like i felt like after those movies i could take anything <laughs> oh and, yeah I yeah you know what I mean? yeah like if you if you could be a kid and go through the thing and alien and come out the other side like you're gonna be okay right like you're gonna be able to handle what life throws at you um but yeah it, it was just back then it was like it was different because like we just kind of grew up around stuff whether it was age appropriate or not um absolutely and, true. you know and for me like it was just like always seeing these different things and just wanting more and like walking around video stores and like finding that one box that had artwork on it that you're like I need to know what this is and you know I feel really lucky because I it's you know it is a bummer that we're sort of more digitally focused with entertainment today so it's like a lot of kids don't like you have to hope that they're going to scroll through however many pages of whatever service to find stuff these days and it's just not the same um so i feel like the the concept of like film discovery you know unless it's sort of fostered by parents i feel like it's kind of gone to the wayside which bums me out so i do feel lucky that i grew up when i did because it was just kind of like you know have kids watch whatever they'll be fine they'll figure it out (laughs) we're, we're roughly the same age so my parents didn't really care too much what i was watching I, I, they probably in their their mind was like as long as there's no sex because for some reason back then yeah. you could watch any gory thing but as soon as there was you know something sexual they're like oh i can't have that it was a very strange uh time growing up that way because you had that all that capabilities to watch things that were just violent as heck <laughs> you know yeah yeah no definitely i remember specifically like uh, probably one of my favorite drive-in experiences was going to see The Fly and Aliens together. What, what was did... the drive-in called? Because I never uh, did a drive-in growing up. Okay, we, um, yeah, I frequently went to, as a kid, went to the twin drive-in in Wheeling. And it was like, it was crazy because like you'd line up at like around four or five o'clock and like there'd just be cars everywhere and people just be kind of hanging out waiting for the gates to open. But yeah, that was the one that I, t- I typically went to growing up. And then when we moved a little bit further west to like Villa Park, um, I started going to the drive-in in West Chicago, uh, which was the Cascade. 
And then that was kind of like my drive-in for like high school years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then basically kind of was still going there like through up until like my, like till I basically moved out to here in LA. Um, but yeah, it makes me really sad because I remember, I think I, I know the cascade is still sitting, but it's just sitting there in West Chicago, which is such a bummer. Um, because they sold the land and then did nothing with it. So it's oh, just that's... all there. So uh, like the twin drive-in turned into like corporate buildings and like residences and stuff like that. So that just got like completely obliterated. But yeah, Cascade's just like this like little ghost drive-in now that just sits there, which is really sad. Yeah, especially since now it feels like uh, drive-ins are getting a little bit of a resurgence lately. It feels like it, at least. Um, so hopefully, maybe somebody will uh, win the lottery or something. Be like, I want to drive in right there. They just buy the land again and just <laughs> make it something cool. Who knows? If if uh, I ever won the lottery, I would definitely <laughs> open a drive-in. But like out here in, in in California, like you have to be like a multimillionaire to do that, which is oh, yeah. feels like sort of the antithesis of what a drive-in should be about. Like, but yeah, just between the costs. Um, but yeah, I'd love it. When you were also growing up, I assume video stores was like a really big thing for you. What do what uh, video stores do you remember frequently frequently going to? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't really even know about Blockbuster until probably like late middle school. So for me, we went like one. I remember that like the Dominic's grocery stores. A lot of them actually had video stores built into them. for a while and then that was really cool yeah because actually my babysitter um she worked part-time at dominic so like we she would go in there to do grocery shopping and she'd be talking to all the ladies that she works with and then she'd just send us into the video store to rent whatever and you know and that was kind of one of one of the places we went and then there was also um another video store it was right near where like the laundromat we would go to frequently it was called omni video uh, which was like a standalone mom and pop shop. Um, and that was one that we went to a lot. Um, and I remember, I, I always remember because they had, um, when it came out of video, they had that Kiss of the Spider Woman cut out. And it was like, they were kind of a smaller store and we'd always trip over it. <laughs> but it was so big and so cool, but it was like so in the way of everything. Really? Um, that's that's a great uh, memory to to. to re- to remember because like there's some uh video stores i wish i could remember the name of but i could just yeah. smell them you know i could just picture what they look like yeah totally i you know i also too remember like once i got like in high school and we were like living in villa park there was one there called lion video and i think there might have been a few lion videos around the chicago suburbs um but yeah, that was like, and I remember that was specifically because like me and my friends were like we're gonna rent Faces of Death, yeah, we're cool, and they had like like five of those things there, and we were like we watched the first one, and we're like yeah, and that was like, whatever. <laughs> so that was the fir- that was the first section you would go to right away. It was the horror section, wasn't it? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, like it, as I got a little older and a little more like engaged in like how movies were coming out, it maybe it was like new releases then horror. Um, but yeah, typically, like just growing up, it was just about like horror, sometimes comedies, because like comedies in the eighties, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, I hate to sound like the old lady telling kids <laughs> to get off my lawn, but like we just don't get that 
as much now that we did back then. Like there was like new comedies coming out like twice a month. Yeah. So there was always kind of something fun going on there. But yeah, I just I loved I liked horror so much just because it like it pushed my my brain in ways that like sometimes could be uncomfortable, but like always just made me really curious about things. Were there um, video covers that you remember that really caught your your eye growing up? Because there's there's a few covers that I remember that to this day scare me to death. <laughs> yeah, like the, one of the big ones was, and I mentioned this earlier, like Vamp, just the 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 lips with the the teeth mm-hmm. coming down. That one, I was like, I well, I loved vampires, and I was like, oh my gosh, like yes, I want to rent this. And then I was like, oh, I'm watching a movie about stripper vampires, and my mom has no idea, um, <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Um, I, I remember. I'm trying to think of like. I think if there was others, there was just so many. I remember like Tenebra was another one that I rented at like 10 because I was just like, what is this? You saw Tenebra um, at 10 years old. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because like so what more so than like there was definitely like artwork where I was like, oh, I need to watch this. I need to watch this. But there was when I was growing up, there was uh, this movie that I was addicted to and I still watch pretty frequently as an adult. Um, because it kind of became like my Bible for like horror and thrillers and stuff. And it's Tear in the Isles, which uh, Screen Factory recently just put out its own Blu-ray release. But for years, um, it was like a special feature on Universal's Halloween 2 Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember my best friend, like her dad's co-worker recorded it off of HBO once. And I started watching it. and It was like I was just enthralled. So what I used to do, I would actually go to the video store and find the cover for Tear in the Isles because in the skull artwork for the cover were all of these movie titles. So I would take that and actually like go around and look and look for these movies and try to find them because I was just so intrigued by them. So that's I, that's why I rented like Suspiria 8, um, which was so traumatic. Um, the razor wire room scene like yeah. haunted me for decades. <laughs> you had to and like look in still... first, right? To make sure there's no yeah. razor anywhere. Exactly. I, I always check rooms now. Are you kidding? Like I would never <laughs> jump through a window like that. Um, so there's a lot of life lessons that you get out of watching a lot of horror when you're a kid. Um, but yeah, so that actually became like my guide where I would basically take it around and be like, okay, you know. Um, for some reason I was like renting Nighthawks at a really young age, but what a cool movie. Um, you know, uh, so that was kind of like, that ended up kind of being my guide, like my guideposts. I remember seeing that movie a couple times and you know what part of that movie was like, what is this? I got to see it. And I didn't see it till like years later was, uh, the family opera scene where he has the plunger. Oh, eyes in the shower. That, yeah. that for some reason that uh, that like was like like I don't know if I could see this movie even though when it's not really that much of a horror movie really <laughs> compared to some of the other stuff but like yeah. I I always that was always like a movie that I always enjoyed because it allowed me to discover other movies and there was a similar for me there was also a similar movie to that uh, called The Deadliest Art the best of the martial arts movies and that's oh, where yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen that but it's got 
all sorts of Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung fights. So that's how I learned about all these different martial arts movies. And I, and just, you know, it's like to have you do that sort of documentary that you did for the in search of darkness, it's sort of like a full circle moment. Now that you talk about terror in the aisle, I think that's really cool. Yeah, it really was. And it's, again, it's one of those, like these days, like the internet is so vast, but I, it's, it's kind of a bummer because it was like, you could do that kind of thing, like growing up back then. And it was so like honed in where like, now if you just type horror movie, you have no idea where you're going to end up. I mean, which is kind of exciting, but at the same time, like I wanted to get something out of that search. So I liked having sort of like a little bit of like precision in, in my, you know, in sort of my, I guess, education as it was back then in terms of, of learning about stuff. Um, but yeah, that was a big one. And it's, it, it's so cool. Cause like on the Tyranny Isles Blu-ray, they actually have the TV cut of the movie, which has other different things in it. that the one that I grew up watching doesn't, um, there's like a lot more of like the fun house in there. Um, which is one that I hadn't seen until recently, but like fan of the paradise. I'm glad you brought that up because that was one that my video store didn't have for some reason. Um, so I didn't get to see that one until later. And now it's a favorite. Like, I love it. Oh, well, I love... It's awesome. I love Phantom of the Opera ad- adaptations as it is, but I'm also, like, a big De Palma fan. So, um, yeah, I, lo- I love that movie so much. You mentioned The Fun House, and uh, that was one of the video covers that scared the crap out of me. Uh, was it up. the mouth? The mouth one? It was, was no, it was the one where the it's just the clown, like, coming at okay. you. And I would time I would walk by that movie at the, the local mom and pop, I'd be like, Nope, can't do it. That's <laughs> and then I didn't see it till like and the first time I ever saw it was on the big screen. And I was like, This oh, movie's really? pretty rad. Yeah. It was at the <laughs> music box of horrors or I think it was maybe the massacre at the time, but that's how I got to see it for the first time. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. But uh that in the fog was another cover that scared me. Because I was like, I don't know what's behind this door, but I don't want to see. <laughs> but like, you know, it's intense. I wish I would have watched it when I was a kid, though, because I loved other John Carpenter movies. But this one I didn't watch till till later, and I fell in love with it immediately. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember watching it as a kid, and actually, it's so funny to me, but I thought it was kind of boring. Which shows you, as like a kid, like, you know, you don't really know things. Um, as an adult, it's one of my favorites from John Carpenter. Like, I love it so much. Um, but right. yeah, as a kid, I was just kind of like, this is kind of boring. Like, I don't know if it was just, I was like trying to push myself and like, I was in the heydays of like Nightmare on Elm Street where things were a little different. You know what I mean? Like a little more stylized. And this was like a really good classic, like ghost story. But that also doesn't make sense because one of the movies I grew up watching a lot when I was really little, because my mom loved it was a ghost story. And that's very classic, oh, yeah. um, you know, old school kind of approach. So. Um, but yeah, it just shows you that, you know, you can, I, I will never write a movie completely off because, you know, you could come around on it. I mean, some movies I have, yeah. but <laughs> typically I don't because you never know. Did you, um with your friends, then you watched horrors, were you the only one that liked horror and you just tormented them or did you all kind of like horror movies? I think most kids kind of liked horror movies, but they liked like the the accessible ones. Like again, like Nightmare on Elm Street was really popular because of, you know, Freddy was like part of the zeitgeist of, of the 80s and things like that. 
But I was the one that was finding the weird stuff to bring to sleepovers and things like that, or just movies they just had never heard of. Um, because I think, I don't think I had a friend growing up who I slept over at their house and didn't like, again, introduce them to either sleepaway camp or fright night. Um, <laughs> or I'm trying to think of another one I would bring that was like really fun. Um, oh my gosh, why? You know, I think, oh, I think also too, it, more so than part one, when I got a little bit older, Hellraiser 2. Because for me, some reason Hellraiser 2 was a little more thrilling than one. I love both for very different reasons. But Hellraiser 2 like pushed things. And because also that VHS was unrated. So they like the stuff that yeah, so the things that like they cut for theatrical went back in for the home release. And so that was like a, a gut punch of a movie. Um, I had a few people that would get mad at me sometimes, <laughs> but you know. Sure. you know um but that was the fun of it like i just you know it's it makes me happy like to see you know that horror is still thriving and it's evolving and things like that um and i don't know that kids are getting that experience of being able to share with other folks with other friends and stuff like that but i hope so i really do like i hope that there's like some weird kid at some school somewhere and they're like hey, you know, I just, you know, maybe they're young and they just saw Five Night at Freddy's or whatever. Like, and they're like, hey, you got to go watch this or something. Like, I just hope that's still a thing because I think that's such a a vital way of like sharing in like the, expe- the, the experience of movies. Because that's I, like, I, it's I, what it is, you know? I, I agree. And I think as much as my older friends... And I don't really want to get into like the ageist thing about it, but there was definitely something with Five Nights at Freddy with younger people because I went to go see a suitable flesh the same weekend that Five Nights at Freddy came out, and there were kids <laughs> everywhere, and they were all there to see Five Nights at Freddy, and I'm I'm seeing like you know something that's more like something that I grew up in, you know, watching like uh, From Beyond and stuff as as a kid, yeah, and so they heard watching that kind of stuff and i was like there's especially with horror i think there's it's the easiest genre to have that sort of like younger generation kind of finding this stuff because there's there's something about it uh for for a lot of people it's like i'm gonna be brave and watch this horror movie like that is a a feeling that everybody can understand yeah i loved this year too one of my favorite things is i saw so many folks dressed up as megan this year for Halloween. But what's even cooler, it was all ages. Like I saw grown-ups dressed up as, as Megan. I saw people like in their like early 20s grow like dressed up as Megan. And I saw kids. And I was like the only other character that I can kind of think of that's doing that today is Chucky. And I love that like we're now 35 years removed from the release of Child's Play. And you know, bless Don Mancini and Universal for just letting him keep things going. Um, because he probably is the only classic like horror icon or like modern classic horror icon, I should say, because there's obviously Frankenstein, Dracula and everything that came out of like the universal black and white movies. Um, but like he's the only one that still is really part of the the discussion of like like where horror is today. And that is super cool. I would have never guessed that as a kid watching that first movie that 35 years later he would be just as relevant maybe more so even did you uh see that movie in theaters or 
or uh, at home, the first one? Uh, I did see it in theaters because I was really excited when I figured out it was it, it was a Chicago horror movie. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those that, like I was like I told my mom like we have to go see this. Plus, also, I grew up loving Chris Sarandon between Fright Night and Princess Bride. So she knew there was no way I was not going to see that one in theaters. <laughs> so yeah, I was like, sure. no, no. Um, the sequels, like two and three, I saw those at home. Um, but that first one, I was, I yeah, we we were at the theater for that one. I remember the poster uh, outside a, a theater, and I was like, I was like, oh man, this looks kind of interesting, maybe kind of scary. And they pretty much do not bite you in on the fact that it's a killer doll movie, which I I think is such a weird, interesting poster if you look back at it now compared to all the other posters for that movie. Yeah, it was interesting how they kind of took, and I'm totally blanking on the name of the building because I literally just wrote about Child's Play. Um, <laughs> but they they took this iconic Chicago landmark apartment building and made that sort of the face of this movie. But it's it's kind of genius in a way um, because I know um, David Kirshner, one of the producers, like that was one of the things that happened, like sort of in post um, when Tom Holland did his first cut of the movie, they felt he felt like Tom was just showing the doll way too much and that he should dial it back kind of like, you know, the Jaws version where, you know, show it when you really need to because it's going to make it that more intense. And he's right. I mean, you know, you can see it in the final product of the movie. And that's actually why, like, the opening is a little different. There's some stuff that's cut down and things like that. Um, and the ending is a little shorter than it used to be um because i mean tom was just so proud of the doll it was it was a feat of magic back then um in the ways that they were able to pull it off but to not even use chucky as the marketing for that first movie was brilliant i think also too it was a smart thing to do because it kind of threw off the my buddy people for a while so they until the movie actually came out and they were like, oh, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> and it killed it killed the, the, my, the My Buddy Dolls. Like once that movie came out and everybody was terrified of Chucky, like yeah. my, the My Buddy Dolls like ceased production like less than a year later. Really? I didn't even know yeah. that. I didn't. I yeah. had Cabbage Patch Kid Dolls. I didn't have My Buddy Dolls. But that song is stuck in my head forever. Oh yeah, if you if you grew up hearing that commercial once, like you will never forget it. But yeah, I was a Cabbage Patch Kid too, so I actually still have mine in a container somewhere. Um, this is a real quick aside. I I because you probably will know this. Uh, did you hear that Victory Auto Records is uh, going out of business, so there'll be no, no. more Victory Auto Record uh, Records uh, ads? No, seven ten East Green in Bensonville. Yeah, it's it's Girl hair. I yeah, I know that ad so so so. Oh, that breaks my heart. Such yeah, I know. I I heard that news. I was like, oh man, we're like they still show that commercial, you know? <laughs> it's so and amazing. We're, and we're, it's gonna be uh gone. And I I just you know talking about you know commercials just made me think of that. And yeah, oh my god, you would know. It it's it'd be <sighs> like uh. The other, the other one is the Eagle Man commercial. I was gonna say, do they still do Eagle Man commercials? I think so. Um, I'm out in uh, Denver now, so I don't get cool commercials like that anymore. But yeah, we we don't have a lot of those out here in LA either. <laughs> well, not many people watch regular TV, which is that's also true. Kind of the bummer. 
Yeah. But I, I do watch my antenna stuff every now and then. I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch this movie and I'm going to get to the commercial. I'm going to watch the commercial, uh, <laughs> especially with Sven because we get we can get Sven now. Uh, was that speaking of Sven Was that something you watched a lot growing up? Oh, absolutely. Um, I felt really lucky because in Chicago, we also got Elvira. Like it was either she was either on channel 50 or channel 66. She was on one. Yeah. Sven was on another. Um, and I, so I feel like I was like spoiled as a kid between the two of them. Um, because it was two very different experiences. Cause like Elvira was kind of just like always like sort of, she just felt so much cooler than anything she was showing and like felt way cooler than me. And like she was just really smart. And like, and not that Sven isn't, but he had such a different approach to his humor in how he presented movies that like I loved having both of those experiences um and I've actually met Rich a few times because I used to go back to Chicago to co-host um there's a convention there called Flashback Weekend Mm -hmm. um and I went back for like 10 years and was co-hosting there and I just I don't go now because it's like it's so expensive to fly to Chicago in August because it's always right around the same time as Lollapalooza and you know it's like, is it worth it for me to go spend like $1,500 to travel basically to work for a weekend? Like, eh, not so much these days. Um, but so he, but Rich was, is very much a part of Flashback Weekend. Like he's there every year. They do this Fungoli costume contest. Um, and he is just the nicest guy. Like I, I might've geeked out big time the first time I met him. Like there might've been some tears a little bit that I had to wipe away when I was done. <laughs> um, but this is, yeah, like, and I, and the thing that I love is like, there are people out there still doing it. They're still doing the horror house. And you know what? Like, I love that. I love that that's a tradition that some people are trying to keep alive because it's tough. You know, like you said, like people aren't typically watching, you know, traditional TV anymore. So it's so hard to do that kind of stuff these days. And to have it resonate because everybody's attention is so split. Um, so getting to like have people out there dedicated to keeping that alive. Like, I love that. I, I'm so happy that there are people out there who are still doing it. Because I think even I, I haven't I had a chance to watch Stranguli lately because I do need to like, we do sling for our TV, but we do need to get like the antenna so we can pick up new TV. Um, so I've been a little bummed because originally we were getting it and then we stopped. Uh-huh. Um, but it makes me extremely happy when I go over, whenever I go online and like Sven trending and I'm like, yes, of course he is. I did uh killer clowns from outer space a few weeks ago when he showed that. That's and, awesome. Uh, and I was, I was like, this is, uh, just, you know, just all the corny jokes. And I, I love when they, uh, do a joke and the punchline is the first line of the scene they go back to. Yes. Which is <laughs> the other thing too. I remember, uh, when I was able to get the antenna working here and uh, I was, they had BTV finally and they were showing Dracula on Sven That was the first time I ever watched Dracula in my life. Really? But I watched the Sven version. So I was like, this, it was, it felt like a, I felt like a kid watching some, a movie for the first time and having this Sven stuff going on. It was, that was a very a special night. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, and, and, honestly, like when they did the the Universal Monsters bo- uh, box set, 
that was like probably the first time in a long time like I sat down and watched a lot of those movies for the first time since being a kid um because again like channel like 50 and 66 in Chicago like played a lot of like the classic stuff so yeah. I watched them and like probably there's like a few that like I have rewatched frequently because like Son of Frankenstein is one of my favorites um so that one was a little more in my head more so than some of the others but I, I going through that set like made me realize like, how much I, I love the Invisible Man series because they were so different like there's one like it's like a cool spy story in a way which is so different than like if you watch the first one which is just like basically this guy gone amok in like a small town it's 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 so fascinating but I love that that's how you got to experience Dracula that's like perfect yeah, it was it was pretty cool, and I was like, "Man, this movie's great." Sometimes <laughs> it takes a while to like. I still haven't seen The Shining, so it it happens. You know, and it's here. Here's the thing: like you say that online, and somebody's gonna be like, "Oh my god, you know, you know, what kind of horror fan are you?" or something like that to to that effect. And for me, I'm just more like, "Oh my god, you get to watch The Shining for the first time. Like, enjoy that because yeah. that's gonna be cool." Um, it's yeah, a really. I'll say it's a really good winter horror movie if you need yeah. like a little more inspiration. I think I might um, finally watch it when there's a big snowstorm and be like, okay, here it is. Because it feels like the sh- like you talked about with your partner watching uh, Planet of the Apes. I was th- I thought of The Shining because I've seen clips, I've seen parodies, I've seen that Spielberg movie. Like part of me feels like I've seen the movie, and that's why I've like always held off i'm like but i know the context is just not there until you actually see it so yeah I'm that a- was yeah that was the experience we had earlier this year because he uh had never sat down to watch the exorcist because he's like well i've seen a million you know possession movies i've seen clips you know especially with tyranny isles and stuff like that so like what could i possibly gain from watching it and then again because uh, it was like the, the night that friedkin had passed and I was like, okay, this is this is our night. We're watching The Exorcist, and just like five minutes in, and I'm watching. Like I look over, and he's just like so intently watching the TV. <laughs> and at a certain point, like he had to get up and like pause it. And I was like, I was like, how you doing? And he's like, shh, shh, shh. he's like, you're gonna ruin the moment. And I was like, okay, he's in. <laughs> um, you know, and it, that's again, that's like the cool thing. Like I would never. I mean, I'm still discovering things, you know, we're all still discovering things. So I was like, I never understand sort of the mindset of people who will like make fun of somebody for like, have not, you know, they just hadn't seen something because I'm like, you should be just really excited that they're going to get to experience this for the first time. Finally, yeah. Like, that's cool. You know, the shining as a kid too, was another one that I kind of thought was sort of boring, but it was also, I was watching the TV version. Oh Yeah. For a lot of years and then once i got in high school and i rented it and i was like oh geez okay wait hold on i was like this is a lot different than i remember it was, um i have to ask uh tv version uh, related did you see the thing the, the tv version first or like the actual real version actual real version okay it good. made me terrified of dogs <laughs> yeah. i was good. so scared of dogs because that, that tv version is uh something else <laughs> i've seen it but it's been decades. It's it's um, weird. It's very weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually really fascinated by the idea, like the, the TV version of movies. Like every once in a while, I'll pop in like the TV version of Halloween 2. Because for so many years, like I just saw the TV versions of Halloween 1 and 2. Um, because that was just sort of my 
exposure to those movies. So then when you actually like go and watch them, watch them, you're like, oh, because like the first like the first Halloween, they have like the scenes in the um, the hearing room and things like that. So it's a little bit different. It feels a little more procedural, actually, mm. um, which is interesting. In Halloween 2, the TV version is like this completely different animal of a movie where it's a lot more drama at the hospital and like the events are actually chronologically different, too, which is so strange um so yeah i'm i love i love sort of the 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 art of the tv cut of movies back back then because it's it's not the same these days oh you there's really no there's no tv versions anymore that's just not gonna be a thing yeah they just basically will just edit language and like (laughs) figure out how to work around nudity at this point um yeah i kind of miss that uh okay so i have a question uh then um did you want to get into making movies or did you always want to do the behind the scenes stuff or like uh, the writing about it, the journalism portion? I'm, I'm typically more comfortable in sort of the, the celebrating it aspects of it. Like I've done some stuff here and there, like I produced a short film and things like that. And I'd actually had been involved with a feature that was supposed to, we were literally two weeks from leaving for Texas to go make it. And the financier like fell through and stuff like that and it was a friend of mine directing um I think to me like I'm I think I'm I've realized over the years I'm more comfortable just like sharing other people's stories that being said um I love like pop culture documentaries like so much I will if if there's a pop culture documentary out there I will watch it it doesn't matter really what the topic is um and so that is something that I want, like these days, like my career, like my entertainment world career has kind of like shifted a little bit where I'm not doing the junkets as much and things like that. You know, I've been so focused on books because now, now I have a day job and it's just, it's uh, takes up a lot of time, but I am hopefully next year um, going to be starting to work on my own documentary project. Um, just because literally it's been tormenting me for 10 years and I'm like, I just need to do this. Like this has to happen. Is this um, a secret so project or yeah, do people I don't know really, what it is? I'm, I, I haven't, I haven't really talked about it much and I'm going to kind of leave it yeah. vague, but I will say it is actually outside of horror. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cause I just, it's it, it, again, it's one of those things like, first of all, there's so many folks out there doing amazing projects in that space already that I don't know where I could do something that would like you know I mean it seems like almost every classic horror movie or franchise has their own documentary at this point so what would I have to say in that space and I don't know that I have a lot to say in that space and that's okay um that you've already said a lot of stuff in that space too yeah and so like for me this is like getting to branch out a little bit which I'm really excited about um, but I will say I was so excited yesterday to see that they announced uh, a Deborah Hill documentary mm-hmm. um, because that was actually something that myself and a few folks had been talking about probably since 2020. Like we just didn't understand why there wasn't one. How can we do this? And so seeing, you know, it being announced with Jamie Lee Curtis, executive producing, like that is so cool. That's yeah, amazing. I that's really, going to be an awesome documentary. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, 
I'm really she was a name that like I it just there's like a few female names growing up that like really stuck out to me and she was one of those uh because she also produced sort of one of my all-time favorite movies it's not really horror but it's um kind of tangentially like related um but it's Clue um Clue is a big one in our house and she produced that and I just remember like thinking remembering seeing her name in those credits and being like is that the Halloween lady and then realizing oh she is and it was like I didn't see a lot of female names like in that space as a kid like you know it was typically all guys and stuff so she was one that I just always really appreciated you know what she did um in the world of cinema um but yeah it was the two names were was Deborah Hill and was Catherine Bigelow because when I saw Near Dark I was like what is this like this is so different so basically that made me like a big Catherine Bigelow fan from that moment on where like if I saw her name like yes I need to watch this that sort of explains well that's half explains why I love Point Break I'm sure the other half is just that it's an awesome movie uh but that makes sense why you gravitated toward that one because of Catherine Bigelow yeah yeah and I think also too (laughs) just because of like growing up in my desire to move to California and I was just like yeah that's what I want to do why like, why did like, you want to move to LA I, I've always like it was a thing like even when I was a little kid like me and my best friend like used to talk about like moving to California together and getting an apartment like I I think it was just the way like it was presented in movies especially throughout the 80s like it, it wasn't always glamorous because like for example like probably one of the biggest movies of my childhood was like the Karate Kid and that was a story of a single mom and her kid like moving across the country going to live in California, but it wasn't like they were like well-to-do or anything, but they made it work. And it just felt like this place where it could work for anybody, you know, regardless of like what, you know, if you were living in like the Palisades or Beverly Hills, or if you're, you know, living in Reseda or something like, you know, you could make it if you, if you, if you really wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because like, I've been out here almost 15 years now and I feel way like it bothers me out, like going back to Chicago, like there's always things I'm going to love, but I've really lost that connection over the years where like, I almost feel like I'm just from Los Angeles. And I'm, I've always wondered like when you move to somewhere like that, like at what point do you say you're from somewhere and you're not from the other place? Um, so Maybe 20 years is when you get to do it. I don't know. <laughs> I'll find out one of these days. I think about that, too, because it's five years since I moved to the Denver area. And I lived in you know the Chicago area up to then, like, my whole life. But, like, I, I love it out here. Like, I never want to, like, move back to Illinois, even though I've got a bunch of friends still that I will talk to all the time. And I like visiting. But, like, it just doesn't. Like, I was driving down Lakeshore Drive the other day, and I was like, this is really cool. But, like, it didn't feel like home anymore. It just felt like a memory. It was kind of weird. Yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it's I, I think that's something that, like, we all kind of experience when we do that. Um, and it's just strange, too, because I, I grew up with so many people who are still either living in, like, the same towns as they grew up in. And I couldn't imagine that. Like, I don't know what that would feel like. Like, I have friends I went to high school with who, like, their kids are in, in our high school now. And that blows my mind where I'm just like, you guys never thought anywhere else. But it's okay. Like, it, everything works differently for different people. But yeah. it just, 
I don't think I was built that way. Like I always kind of knew I'd be out here somehow. I didn't know how I would do it, but horror got me out here. So I'm grateful for it. Hasn't yeah, always been easy, but I'm I'm happy about it. You know, that that's good. It's always a good thing when you decide to do something and you do it and it works out. So that's that's awesome. Yeah, you know, because there was a few times where I was just like, "Oh, is this it? Do I, is this where I go back?" No, no, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna push through and see how it goes. So. Well, it it sounds like you are are still moving forward, and you know, still having those books and stuff coming out, and you hopefully that that documentary goes well. And I can't wait to to what whatever it is, I'm gonna watch it. It's just so you know. <laughs> oh well, good, thank you. Um, yeah, it's it's I'm starting because I was actually hoping to start collecting things sooner, but just couldn't really do it. One with the strikes going on, and I. Yeah. I talked with a producer friend and they're like, I think you'd be okay to start interviewing people, but maybe not. So, and so I'm going to start. And then we've had some like things we've had to do with the book and that were kind of last minute. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to use January as like my launch time for this because it just feels right to, to wait a little bit. So yeah, Uh, we'll see. So one question I ask, uh, Almost all my guests. I assume that you are a physical media collector. Was that would that be accurate? It is. I I wish I I wish I had the dedication <laughs> that some folks have. Like I see, like they'll have like a basement with like nothing but like fifteen bookshelves, and it's like all movies. And <laughs> I covet that. But you know, uh, yes, I I very much do, especially because like last like uh, yesterday, for example, we were like doing some stuff around the house, and I was like, oh, let's just throw in a movie or whatever. We just didn't know what we wanted, and we're like. You know what? I was like, we'll just throw on vacation, for example, um, because I'm not ready quite for Christmas vacation. But I was like, let's just throw that. And it'd been on Max for like months, yeah, months. And then, of course, last night we go to find it and it's not there. So if I did just bought the 4K version of Vacation that just came out recently, it wouldn't have been a problem. But then I was like, ah, okay. So yeah, I'm 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 very much a big proponent of it because especially these days, yeah. you just don't know what's going to be out there and what's not. So how do you have it organized? Um, it's just all alphabetical. Okay. Yeah, I haven't been able to get into like the specialty sections and stuff. I've seen I saw somebody who like has all of their their Scream Factory ones like in one section and like their vinegar syndromes in another. And I'm like, I wish my brain worked that way that I could do that. Um, but I don't think I could because I would keep forgetting. I'm I'm also somebody who like will buy a movie and then like next the next year i'll be like oh we should really do this and then i rebuy the same movie i've done that multiple times oh really <laughs> <laughs> so because i get like oh if i watched it like in the bedroom and the disc is still back there and i looked at the shelf and i was like oh we don't have this and then i'm like oh wait no because that's like in a different place and now you know now i own two copies of this like i did that with like uh i was a the vampire motorcycle movie um, I did that with that, and then there was like another one too. I think it was the Black Cat. Yeah, so I've done that a few times. When you say you do alphabetical, how do you manage the like the Nightmare on Elm Street series? Well, I mean that's pretty easy because like we just we just we right now we only have out our Blu-ray uh, copies of stuff, so our DVDs are kind of like in a separate space. Um, so for Nightmare, for example, we I actually have the UK box set for that. Mm-hmm. 
So that's easy because that's just like in the ends and it's just there. Um, And then like, but like some of the bigger box sets kind of go in different places because like they just take up too much room on the shelves and we're kind of running out of space. Um, So it's like one of those, like you have to kind of just like sort of remember because like we have the big Friday the 13th and the Halloween. And so, you know, and actually the Halloween box set, I think basically just like lives in our entertainment center for, you know, September and October because- we watch those a lot (laughs) so it's like yeah there's no reason in putting those anywhere because we're just going to go to those a lot so that because i have people on the on the show and they overthink how they want to put their movies together and uh it's kind of funny and i uh, wish i could i wish i could i wish i was that organized yeah but i appreciate that you just do it just real basic because Really, I just throw my my movies on my shelf, and there's no order for most of it, except for uh, John Carpenter and John Woo movies are all together, do by chronological. Nice. Which, which yeah, I, love. I would love chronological to, is fun. Yeah, I would love to be able to do that, <laughs> um, but I just feel like that might break my brain a little bit. So, but maybe eventually, once we move into a place where we can actually like put everything out, and then I'll be like, okay. Now I can create my John Carpenter section or my Wes Craven section and things like that and just, you know, sort of geek out a little more through my collection that way. Is that similar to your books? Because I'm assuming you've got some books. Do you just do the alphabetical thing too? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's, I think it's just, you know, sort of like the old school way to handle it. But again, people who can kind of break it down by like genres or even subgenres. Um, (laughs) You know, more power to them. I wish I could. Uh, speaking of books, uh, like we talked about earlier, you've got uh, three books out right now, and you got one coming out. Uh, where can people buy these books? Because I highly recommend them. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so um, I don't promote Monster Squad as much because that was like the first one that came out in 2017. And uh, some of those interviews have actually been repurposed in the Monsters Makeup and Effects series and expanded and stuff like that, um, just because like this that whole that started like 2016 for me so that was like almost a lifetime ago now it feels like um (laughs) but monsters yeah but monsters makeup and effects you can find those over you know they're on all of the different like uh websites like amazon barnes and noble and things like that and then also direct from the publisher as well um at aminc.com um i also right now i've been doing because i bought like we had i did a signing a few weeks ago here in Los Angeles and ended up with like a ton of books. And like, I just, I don't, I, I need space. <laughs> we have too much yeah. stuff in our house. Um, so I've been kind of, and also too, cause I know books are kind of expensive. Um, so I've actually been doing like where I've been selling direct, like signed copies of monsters, makeup and effects volumes one and two, um, which if anybody's interested in that, they can head over to like my Twitter profile, which is at the horror chick um and i've been kind of doing that because like one i had somebody who bought them like for christmas gifts which i thought was really cool um i was like oh really like my signature is a christmas gift that's weird (laughs) but cool um and so that's so i've been kind of doing that lately but yeah like they're, they're pretty much available anywhere you can find books these days which is pretty neat like i actually found them on target's website once and i was yeah and i was like what I'm on Target. That's so rad. Um, you know, not in stores, but they're on their site. So that's pretty cool. 
And uh, is there other places online to find your, your writings as well? Yeah, so I haven't, like, as I mentioned, I've kind of been, like, on this sabbatical this year just because it's been really tough to keep up with everything. But, um, you know, I, I, I do have stuff that's still, like, uh, of course, on dailydead.com. Um, I've written for Fangory in the past as well. This year, I've actually been really fortunate um, to be doing a lot of sort of, like, retrospective pieces for different home releases um, through Second Sight, which is pretty cool. Um, so I've been able to like be a part of like their releases for like the changeling, um, for Lucky McKee's May, which was really awesome to be a part of because I love that movie. Mm-hmm. That was kind of part of my new wave of weird movies that I would show people. <laughs> um, so to be a part of that was really cool. Um, a few more that haven't been announced yet. Um, but if you keep up on like the second sight stuff, um, I think I'm going to have like at least three more that are coming up from them. Um, and I actually just booked, and I can't say specifically for what movie yet, but I actually just booked my first essay for Arrow, which I'm really stoked about. (laughs) That is, that is a, a, an awesome, uh, label, uh, Arrow and Second Sight too is great too. They do a lot of really good work. So like that's, I mean, that's pretty cool that you get to have your name out on all these different things. Yeah, like eight-year-old me who was like picking up <laughs> copies of Fangoria at the bookstore, like wouldn't believe the luck that I've had. I still don't. I really don't. Um, so I, I still, I think I still can't quite reconcile what I've been able to do in like these like sort of sixteen years. But I'm really fortunate um, and grateful, and you know, being able to just talk about these movies that have meant so much to me. Um, over the years it's just been like the biggest thrill um you know i just wish the world of like entertainment journalism was a little more even keeled for folks coming into it now because it's so uncertain like you know i just saw like 15 of my friends lose their jobs this week alone at jezebel uh which was really disappointing different like different sphere but online writing um can be really tough to navigate you know and my hat is off to anybody who's sort of embarking on that journey these days because there is a huge level of uncertainty now that there wasn't when I was starting. I'm grateful that I was able to kind of be a part of that. And I wish it was better for the writers out there who are just getting, you know, kind of dipping their toes into the water because they deserve it, you know. I I agree. And um, hopefully that uh, things get a little bit better for uh, people um in that regards and uh people keep writing because there's always going to be someone going to be reading this stuff so yeah uh. like I, I i love the fact that you know like i mean obviously bloody disgusting has kind of been like the number one site forever um but i really love the opportunities that they've given a lot of a lot of writers there um who may not have been able to find them elsewhere like they've really opened up um like their different series and things like that so it's like i just I'm grateful that there are still sites dedicated to providing a platform and a space for folks out there who are like still coming up. Um, because I think it's important, you know, I'm, I'm not egotistical enough to believe that like I'm the end all be all of anything in any way, shape or form. So I'm all about like when there's like new writers out there getting opportunities, because I think that's just, it's, it's so necessary 
you know, and I think for a lot of folks too, you just get to a point where you kind of burn out a little bit. So having younger folks that are like starting to get into it and they're hungry for it and they're so excited. Like, I love it. Like, I just, I think that's like the coolest thing about it. Like just being able to see like, it's almost like rediscovering horror in some ways when you get to read somebody else's thoughts on it. Cause it's like, Oh, I may not even like seen it that way. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really cool things like out there that just wasn't happening in the days when I was first starting out. So I think I was like one of four women too, who were writing in like the online horror space at the time when I started. And now I would say it's almost 50, 50, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And uh, what else is really cool is that you got to uh, do my show. And I really appreciate that you came on. And I had a great time uh, talking to you about like your whole career and, and everything like that. So I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. you. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm appreciative of you, for you even asking. Um, so, you know, I'm always happy to chat about stuff. Um, it's always weird to talk about me because I'm, I'm used to... <laughs> My whole career is about talking about other people's work. So I'm always like, but you're not talking about me, why? <laughs> like, That's what I love about my show is that I get people <laughs> on talking about themselves and not everybody gets that opportunity. So thank yeah. you for well, doing thank it. You. Well, thank you for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. No problem. And uh, everybody go uh, check out her uh, writings. And also thanks for listening to my show and hope everybody has a, a nice evening. Thank you.